two. Two is even better. If, if, <laughs> good morning, everybody. I'm Ryan. Um, my wife, Kate, and I have the joy of co-pastoring Living Waters together with an incredible team. And a lot of them you get to see, uh, and a, but a lot of them are behind the scenes as well. So make sure that you're just appreciating everybody that you're, that you're witnessing, pulling this together every week. It is so powerful for us to be able to recognize that and, uh, and just heap praise on people, even though they're... Um, they're doing the best they can, and they sometimes think, oh, it's not that great, it's not that great, but for me to be able to participate in it, oh, I'm going to need one of those, like, oh, do doodads. There we go. I don't need that one. That's someone's song. I mean, you should grab it so we don't litter. No, leave it. It's fine. No, grab it. It's, oh, yeah, okay. Anyway, tell the team that's awesome that they're awesome. There we go. Ooh, that's fancy. All right, so we'll do, do away with this guy. All right, so Galatians 1. We are beginning a new series this morning. Uh, we are going to be studying the book of Galatians. And um, it's so fun to be able to do this to, to, together. It comes with a challenge to you that you would be reading the book of Galatians throughout the next several weeks as we do this. Um, but this morning, if you want to mark your, if you want to get on your phone and go to Galatians 1, or if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and go to Galatians 1. We're going to spend some time reading it. Um, I don't know how I'm going to turn the pages on my notes because these magnets are, are stronger than I am. Um, I'll just teach page 1 over and over. It'll get better each time. Um, all right, so... One of the things that we love to do, if you've been around Living Waters much, one of the things that you know is that we love to study the Word. And, and if you've been to our inductive Bible study class, you've been able to, to participate in that. We love teaching people to study, how to study, and how to understand Scripture within their original context. It means so much more to, or it's so much more powerful when we understand that baseline of where Scripture is coming from and what it means. And so that's what we want to teach people to do because the Bible is a gift to us and we want to treat it that way as a church and as a people. And that's why this study that we're doing in the book of Galatians comes with the challenge to be reading it throughout these, these next few weeks and to be writing in your journal and, and, and studying it, underlining things and asking Holy Spirit to teach you uh, as, as, we, as our teaching team takes us through it. But I want us to understand that the Bible doesn't exist for us to know about God. The Bible exists for us to know God. It is to bring us into intimacy with him. As we study the Bible, we're not pursuing information. We're not pursuing head knowledge. What we really want is to pursue revelation and intimacy with God. And so if we're studying the Bible correctly, it shouldn't entrench us more in our pet doctrines. It should undo us more and more so that we can become more like Jesus. So if we believe that hearing God is vital to people's individual faith and their faith journey with Jesus, then we have to teach people to know the word because those who know the scriptures are the ones who know that they're hearing from God because we have that grid to, hear, to, to recognize his voice because we study scripture well and that we would say we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that comes from God. And every word that comes from God includes us and our ability to study scripture scripture correctly. So we use a 
We use a method around here. We call it a hermeneutic because it's a fancy word for studying scripture, interpreting scripture. But our, our, our hermeneutic is historical, contextual. And we want to teach everybody how to do this because when we have the historical context in scripture, we begin to understand it differently. And we believe that this is a religious detox center. And that doesn't mean that we think we have every scripture figured out and we have every doctrine correct. It's not that. But we do see that there's so much healing when people become empowered to study scripture well for themselves and truly get to the dig, dig into the meaning of what it's saying. So we use this hermeneutic, historical, contextual, and it allows us to draw out meaning out of Scripture. What happens a lot of times is that we try to read Scripture and we're importing meaning into it. We're taking our context, we're taking our, our views, and we're reading it into Scripture. That's not how we're to do this. What we're to do is to understand. That means standing under the meaning of Scripture and allowing it to reframe and reform our lives and that we draw out of each scripture what it means. And then we live in accordance with what scripture is saying to us. And so that's why studying the history and the language and the culture, it helps us answer the most important question that we have as we're studying the word. And that is this, what would this passage have meant to the original writer? So we believe that Holy Spirit empowered Paul to write Galatians. And as he sat down to write that scripture, as he sat down to write this letter, every single word, every single sentence had a meaning. One meaning. What would it have meant to Paul when he wrote it? And then what would it have meant to those who were hearing or reading this letter? That's the original intent of scripture that we are trying to come to as we study it historically and contextually. All scriptures have one meaning and many applications. And I think that it's important that we understand that, that we don't get to just go, oh, what does it mean to you? And what does it mean to you? And what does it mean to you? No, the question is, what did it mean when Paul wrote it, inspired by the Holy Spirit? And what did it mean to those who read it? That's all that scripture can ever mean. And then we take that meaning to the best of our ability, and then we apply it in hundreds of different ways to different cultures, to different places and different times, and it applies beautifully because we've, we've gained that. What does this passage mean to the original writer and what does it mean to the original reader? So we have to understand that I've said this many times over the years, the Bible wasn't written to you and it wasn't written to me. It was written to someone else for a different time in a different place, but it was written for you and it was written for me. And so we get to believe that Holy Spirit inspired it in that moment and in that time and it remains inspired today. And that's why we get to dig into it and see what is scripture truly saying. And that's why context is key. One meaning, many applications. And so that brings us to the book of Galatians this morning. I am tasked with teaching you the introduction to the book of Galatians. And uh, Drew is teaching next. And he asked that I would make it to Galatians 2 because he has Galatians 2 tattooed on his leg. And he wanted to be able to teach off of his tattoo. Um, and so I am going to do the introduction and Galatians 1. And then Drew is going to bring you his tattoo next week. Uh, and it's going to be powerful and amazing. I mean, you don't even know the number of people who have just walked by in the grocery store, saw that tattoo, fell down on the ground, and gave their lives to Jesus. All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're clapping because you believe that's a true testimony or you're clapping because I'm, I'm hassling Drew, which I love to do. I'm hassling Drew. Um, okay, so the book of Galatians. 
How can we learn from and apply truth from a letter that was written 2,000 years ago? How can we do that? Because we believe that that scripture, that writing, that letter was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was breathed by the Holy Spirit, and it is just as alive today as it was the moment that Paul wrote it. And so the background of the book of Galatians, the author, as I've mentioned a few times, his name is Paul. He was an early church apostle, which meant he was a a leader of the early church. He was a missionary, and he was a church planter. But before he was an apostle, a church planter, and a missionary, he was one who traveled around and persecuted the church. So his early upbringing was in the Old Covenant. It was in Judaism. And it was in the Old Covenant religion with priests and sacrifices and everything that was laid out in the the sacrificial system, in Leviticus, in, in the Old Covenant. And he followed it zealously, even to the point, as we will see in Galatians 1, that he began to rise to prominence within this religion and his task that he was achieving in his religion in this religion, Judaism, was to go around and to stop the spread of the false Messiah, Jesus. They didn't recognize Jesus as the true Messiah. And so what they did was they were persecuting the church. If you remember Acts and Stephen being martyred, it's him being stoned for for preaching the gospel. That That was the zealots. That was Paul. That was his crew who were going around to the early church, the early believers in Jesus and persecuting them and scattering them, arresting them, and sometimes even stoning them to death. This was Paul's background. And one day Paul was traveling to continue this mission and Jesus interrupted him and knocked him on the ground and he said to him in Acts, he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus was taking this personally. And, and Paul had this encounter with Jesus where, where he had a, a, a revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that, that completely altered his life. And that, that encounter with Jesus showed him that it didn't matter what his past was, that Jesus had so completely covered it that he was able to move forward and begin to proclaim the truth of Jesus as the Messiah And it wasn't only for the Jewish people. It wasn't only for Judaism. It wasn't only for those who were in the Old Covenant. But it was for the Gentiles, which meant the non-Jews, everyone who was surrounding the region. Paul had a revelation that this gospel was to go out to every tribe and every tongue. And so Paul began to preach that gospel. And, and as he preached, he traveled around. And the region that we, he traveled through prominently in a ton was what is Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. It was called Galatia. And it wasn't just one city, it was a group of cities and he would travel north from Jerusalem and he would travel around and he would plant churches and he would uh, see the gospel take hold and then he would come home and he would begin to get ready for another missionary journey. And on those home places, and sometimes even when he was on missionary journeys, he would be writing letters to the churches that he had planted. And so the background of this is Paul, an apostle of Jesus who had his life radically transformed from legalistic, religious lifestyle, even to the point of persecution, experienced Jesus, was forgiven completely, was made new, and had a revelation that he was to preach to the Gentiles, to all people. And so he traveled and he preached. And as those churches took hold, they still needed his input from time to time. And so that's why we have these letters and why the New Testament is written, so much of it is written by Paul because he was the missionary and the church planter who was doing all of that. And so he's writing this letter to Galatia. It was, a, it was a Roman province by the time that Jesus or that Paul got there. And so in Galatia, 
they were beginning to deal with a group of people who also believed in Jesus, but they were Jewish and they were from the Jerusalem church, which was the, the local beginning point of, of this gospel of Jesus. And they were from that region and they were Jews and they began to, to preach and proclaim to the Gentiles that you had to become Jewish first in order to receive the Jewish Messiah. And in order to become Jewish, you had to come under the old covenant and you had to be circumcised to say, hey, I, I agree with this, with the old covenant. I've become, I've, I've walked into this Jewish religion and I agreed to it so that I can then receive the Jewish Messiah. And so what people were doing is like, they say, yes, you believe in Jesus and that's, and the faith in Jesus is the key, but, but for it really to take, you have to be able to, you have to do all these religious things. And so Paul recognized this false teaching that was coming even from well-meaning believers. And he recognized this as something that was extremely toxic. Religiosity was something that Paul wouldn't put up with at all. And so he wrote this letter to, Galatian, to the Galatians. And, and he, he wanted to express to them that the doctrine that they were being taught, that this thing they were being taught was in direct contradiction to what Jesus had revealed to him and to what he had taught them, that the gospel that you are saved in Jesus by faith and through grace alone. There's nothing else that needs to be added to it before, and there's nothing that needs to be added to it afterwards. And so he wanted to preserve the purity of the gospel for those that he had planted the church. And the people who were coming and teaching these things didn't appreciate Paul uh, undermining their teaching. He didn't, they didn't appreciate Paul, and so they began to question his authority as an apostle. And they begin to undermine his, and, and question, did you really know Jesus? Were you recognized by the Jerusalem church? Were you recognized by Peter and the early disciples? And then they argued this. They argued that he was compromising the gospel, and he was making it too easy for people to understand and to, to come into. And I think that that's a good accusation that we can always be sure that we are confronting a religious spirit when they say, oh, you're making it too good. You're making it too easy. You're making it too, like, this is the reality. Jesus did it all. And then he offered it to us as a free gift that we receive. I, I can't make it much more complex than that. And if that is too easy or too, if that's taking it lightly, that's a religious spirit that wants to define and redefine what the gospel is all the time and wants to begin to add all these different layers to how we truly journey into relationship with Jesus. And Paul was, was confronting that. And so they were saying, Paul, you're making it too easy. This gospel you're preaching isn't the true gospel. And so that's why the theme of Galatians, the theme of our study that we're doing for these next several weeks is grace over effort. It's not our human effort. It's not our human will. It's not our work that brings us into right relationship with Jesus. It is the completed work of Christ that does it. And so Galatians 3.3 is going to be our key verse that you guys hear a lot over the next several weeks. And it says this, how foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? See, the Galatian Christians were starting to hear this religious chatter. And maybe you've heard it too. It was things like this. You don't measure up. You aren't doing enough. You aren't really free from your past. You need to work harder to be perfect. You need to work harder to please God. You need to work harder to earn his approval and his attention. Are any of these accusations familiar to you? And maybe you've heard them before. And maybe it's just the enemy accusing you. Or maybe it's truly from religious circles. But Paul's message to them 
And Paul's message to us through this letter was very simple. God loves you. He forgives you. He empowers you to live in freedom. The gifts that he lavishes on you aren't earned through human effort, but received by grace through faith. The lie that we have to finish what God has started binds us up and it tempts us towards religion. It tempts us towards control. It tempts us toward performance. I got it. Listen, if you've said yes to Jesus, I want you to be encouraged that you are spiritually reborn through, through your relationship with Jesus and it, you cannot earn it. It's a gift. You have to receive it. And this is Paul's emphatic message throughout this letter. Jesus has set us free. And because of that, we are entirely free. Not only from our past, but from works. We are free from fear of failure. We are free from religiosity. We are free from inadequacy. And don't let anybody, no matter who they are or where they're from, rob you of that simple beauty. When his sufficiency met your lack, it was entirely consumed and you are now immersed in grace. And so read with me Galatians 1 and you will hear Paul's heart today. Galatians 1, Paul, an apostle. So he begins by reminding them of his role. I am an apostle that is not in question. I was not sent from men nor by men. Why would he add that line? It's for them to understand that he's not coming from Peter and James' authority. He's not coming from the Jerusalem church's authority. He's coming from and being com and commissioned by God. I'm not sent to you by Jerusalem. Not by men or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That is the simplest gospel sentence that we can have. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, he says this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, first thing he extends to them is grace and peace. And I love that because it seems that it's quantifiable, it's measurable to the degree that we understand grace is the degree that we carry peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Simple statement of the gospel. Listen again. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Notice that Paul doesn't allow them to make excuses. I'm astonished that other people are being so mean to you. I'm astonished that other people are confusing you. I'm astonished that this is happening to you. No. He gives them responsibility to understand and to hold to the gospel that they were taught. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the grace and the gospel that has been taught to you. And you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, he says... 
Some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And what he means is let them be cut off. As we have already said, so now I say again, it's important in scripture, not that all scripture isn't already vital. Um, but when Paul takes a moment to repeat himself right after the verse that he just said the same thing, it should allow us to stand up and take notice. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Again, let them be cut off from God. Paul is not messing around. He understands that the purity of the gospel is so important to the move and the work of what Christ was doing in that day and age. That there was an evil that was afoot in that time and Jesus came, he died, forgiving people from their sins so that they would be delivered from that evil that was taking place in this time. In verse 10, he goes on. And knowing, as you guys know, that there are people who are, are questioning Paul, who are trying to bully Paul, who are saying, you're not a real apostle. You didn't come from the church of Jerusalem. You weren't with the original disciples. You guys know that as the background, so you're understanding why he's saying what he's saying. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you guys to mark verse 10 so we can come back to it for just a minute. Verse 11, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, sisters that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did, did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He's answering some of these bullies who are trying to push back against his, the gospel that Jesus showed him. Verse 13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, among the nations. My immediate response was not to consult with human beings. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia and later I returned to Damascus. He didn't run to Peter and James. He didn't run to the apostles. He didn't run to the Jerusalem church. He stayed in this place of intimacy, learning the gospel from Jesus and learning the gospel, being mined out of his historical training that he had. He had, a, he had a depth of knowledge of the Old Covenant and the Old Testament because of his upbringing. And the Holy Spirit was able to use that to reveal to Paul the story of redemption for all humanity. And that is the story that Paul carried with him. I didn't go quickly to the Jerusalem church to get their approval. I stayed in this place with God. And when the time was right, I began to preach this gospel. And he traveled around. And then three years later, he went, finally went up to Jerusalem. I went up to Jerusalem and to get acquainted with, with Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. And then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. 
They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So this is Paul. This is the beginning of his defense of a gospel of grace where religious bullies were coming and trying to rip people off. And I want to circle back as you guys see that and you understand some of the historical and background perspective that this book would come alive for you. This letter would come alive for you. And one thing I would encourage you right out of the gate is just circle the word grace whenever you encounter it in Galatians. And begin to look at the verses that are surrounding it and see what the Holy Spirit was, was saying through Paul and what he's still saying to us. But I wanted to go back to Galatians 1.10. And I think this is important for us because now we can draw application out of this letter and be encouraged or challenged today. And he said this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so Paul understood and was teaching them that to pursue and please Jesus, he couldn't do it if he was constantly looking over his shoulder and wondering what people think of, thought of him. He wasn't afraid of those in his past, in that former religion. He wasn't afraid of what the people in Jerusalem thought. He wasn't afraid of any of the false teachers and what they were teaching. Paul understood that I'm not going to look over my shoulder and wring my hands and go, oh no, what are they thinking of me? I'm here to please Jesus alone and preach Jesus alone. I think that that reality is that that's what brought him to this place of being able to lead these early followers of Jesus so purely that he wasn't going to allow for them to be bullied into religiosity because fear, if they had that kind of fear, if he didn't have that fear, then they wouldn't have that same kind of fear. Fear like that would limit his ability to preach the gospel of Jesus in its purest form. And it stood as a challenge to those who were hearing this letter and it stands as a challenge to us. I'm astonished he said to them, of how quickly you're turning away. He was challenging them. I'm not worried about what people think. Are you? Are you? And that was what he was saying to them, and I believe that's what he's saying to us, because fear limits. Fear of what people think. Fear of having to perform for God. Fear of having to please people. It robs us of the truth of the gospel, and it tempts us towards that religious human effort that Paul was defending against. It hinders our ability to move forward in the things that God is calling us to do. Paul said it this way, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Fear of what people think, fear of man, hindered them. It would hinder us. It hinders us still, but it didn't hinder Paul because he had already decided and surrendered fully to Jesus. But I want us to pay attention because I believe that fear can creep into our lives. It can creep into your life and it can trip us up. We have the same things that I was listing earlier, that fear of failure, that fear of change, that fear of the unknown, the fear of people, fear of those in authority, fear of lack, whatever it might be for you. Fear wants to stop us dead in our tracks. And it wants to keep us from telling people the hope that we have in Jesus. It narrows our life because we settle for safe instead of significant. And I want you to hear this. I'm not, this isn't, yeah, I'm gonna, I don't care what people think anymore. I wanna be like Paul. I'm gonna go home and, and I'm gonna tell people what I really think about 
all the stuff that's going on in our culture right now. I can't wait to go and tell them what, give them a piece of my mind. This isn't what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about saying things and going, I don't care what people think. The context of this passage that we are studying, the context is how we can become afraid to live out our relationship with Jesus in front of those who judge us or don't understand us. Paul wasn't talking about the freedom to have an unpopular opinion. He was talking about the freedom to proclaim an unpopular gospel to the culture and that we wouldn't be set back and we wouldn't be hindered by fear or concern of what people would think. We can't get that mixed up. The work of Jesus is finished. And it is his love that conquers fear. How do we overcome fear? We receive a revelation of his love that is so powerful. The fear of punishment that religion wants to give us. The fear of abandonment that religion wants to give us. The fear of lack. As I've listed these all before. Fear of failure. Fear of people. Fear of death. But when we have a true encounter with his love, fear is cast out. And that's what Paul was saying in this letter. That was, he was what he was saying to the Galatians, and that's what he was saying to us. Don't let fear be more powerful than who you are in Christ. Don't let fear be more powerful than Christ in you. Don't let fear be more powerful than what you are dreaming. Don't let fear be more powerful than what you are called to do. Don't let fear be more powerful than what you're empowered to do. Don't listen to fear. Listen to who Jesus says that you are and what he is speaking over your life. You are loved with such purity and passion. And when you open up to that love, fear has no place to stay in your life. Are you relating to the world around you through fear or through faith? Are you being bullied by religious spirits or religious lies that want to tell you you have to perform to see the love of the Father be made known to you. Paul understood that religion teaches fear, but Jesus teaches love, and, I, and, teaches love and, I am, and if I am still trying to please people, I cannot be serving Christ. Are you still trying to please people? Are you still looking over your shoulder and wondering, what do they think? What are they saying? The second verse that I want to pull out quickly as we wrap up this morning is Galatians 1, 23 and 24. They only heard the report. This is how Paul ended his letter as a testimony. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they praised God because of me. This is an encouragement to the people that were reading this letter and it's also an encouragement to us. The greatest message that you carry is a changed life. And listen, there's a difference between being changed for God's approval and being changed by God's approval. Religion wants you to change for his attention and for his approval. But what we have is this realization that he approves of you and loves you and is with you no matter what. And when you recognize that and when you receive that, you cannot help but be changed by that kind of love, that pure love of a father over your life. That's the greatest message that we carry is a changed life. And that's what Paul was pointing to. I think it's beautiful that Paul was the one that brought this. His testimony is that he brought the early church from a regional Jerusalem-based group of people to a worldwide group of people. 
This is the wisdom of God to use Paul and to take them from that place where the message went out to all, according to Paul, went out to all nations and all the world. I think it's beautiful that he used his history to, to be able to transform people's present. I think it's beautiful that Paul went from the greatest legalist that existed in his former religion to the point where he was willing to kill people for them believing in Jesus and not following his list of laws and his religion, that he went from the greatest legalist to a defender of grace. How perfect is it that God would choose the person who is most entrenched in legalism to be the one who can sniff it out at a second and be like, no, that is not the gospel at all. I know what legalism brings. I know where that road goes. And you end up in hatred and you end up wanting to kill people and you end up wanting to destroy. And he knows that and he has this overdeveloped radar, this, this sense of religiosity that he could not help but defend and fight against. Paul wouldn't allow this to, to take root in the early church on his watch this is the story and the glory of the testimony of how God used Paul's history for his purposes. Nothing is wasted in Paul's life. He could say, I spent my entire life, my education, and I educated myself in a system that I found out later was totally false. It was incorrect. I, I spent my zeal persecuting the church, and God has used it all. And certainly Paul was devastated by what he's done. I'm not saying that he would glory in what he had done. But the fact that God would say, yeah, you spent all those years being educated in this. You spent all that passion and time and energy and zeal going this direction. And I can take that and pick you up and put you in an entirely different path. And you can continue to move forward in the things that I have for you. That's a testimony that Paul was declaring at the end of chapter one. To say, I'm not getting my accolades or I'm not getting my approval by a group in Jerusalem. I'm not getting it because of my pedigree. I'm not getting it because of my historical relationship with Peter and James. I'm getting it because of my relationship with Jesus and my calling card is my transformed life. I was the one that was killing people. And now I'm the one who's planting churches and the church is praising God because of him. Are there any places in your life right now today that you look at and that you're ashamed of? I want to express to you not that you should be proud of them, but that you would understand that those are the proof of God's undeserved supernatural favor on your life. Only Jesus can turn these places of shame into places of praise. Only God can turn these places that we don't even want to look at into places where he can say, look at this story because it glorifies me and it shows what grace can do. Religion is incapable of doing anything with your past except making you feel guilty and shamed for it. Only grace of Jesus Christ can meet that and turn it into something that displays his goodness for everyone around you to see. It displays his power and it displays his ability to redeem. And that's why we celebrate Jesus. So as we've read this chapter and we're looking at the book of Galatians, there's a lot here to unpack. 
And I hope that just in sharing and talking through it a little bit this morning and pulling out a few things that you've been ministered to, but more than ministered to, that you're inspired for these next several weeks to dive into Scripture. Don't be intimidated by Scripture. Let's not be believers who only come on a Sunday to hear about Scripture and understand and hear my heart is that you can interpret Scripture. You can understand Scripture. You can get down to the historical context and you can unpack it and you can learn it, and you can share it with people around you. I don't want us to be a church that's intimidated by that. I want us to know that that's our heart, and that's the heartbeat of who we are. It's why we gather together, and it's what we do. And I want to close with this, just as I pulled out a couple of these verses. I want to challenge you and encourage you this morning to let places of fear become targets for God's love. We are, we are told that true love casts out fear. We're also told to love our enemies as ourselves. We can't love what we fear. And as we encounter the true love of Jesus, the radical love of Jesus, we will find that our fear diminishes, our fear of others, our fear of what else is happening, our fear of what's really going on in the world. It all decreases and love takes its place. Fear and love cannot coexist. So let's open up our lives to love and let's love well the people around us and let places of fear become targets for God's love. And let's allow parts of our story that maybe we despise. <laughs> we don't like looking at them. Let them become reminders to us of God's grace that you are commissioned to give out to others as freely as you have received it. The greater the need, the more you have received and you have received it freely. And now the, 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 the request that God has for you is simply that you would give this grace, his grace, as freely as you have received it. So let those places in your past that you want to hide, open them up and give them to the Lord and allow them to be healed and redeemed and to become gleaming truth of what the gospel of grace actually can accomplish in every single person's life that you come across. Give as freely as you have received, amen? Amen. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this time this morning together. We thank you for your word that transforms us and your word that is just as powerful today as the moment that Paul put his pen to paper. We thank you that it's alive and we receive it. We don't study it so that we can understand it and put it into our little boxes and our doctrines. We study it so that we can be transformed by it, that we would stand under your word and we would allow it to transform us and conform us to your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome.